0: This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, be found on page 811 in your black-covered Bible. Matthew 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Good morning, everybody. Hey, my name is Mark, and I am one of the pastors here. We're really glad to see you, and we are thankful. And uh, to have you uh, here with us this morning. Uh, Before I get started today, let me just say something about yesterday. Yesterday was Affordable Christmas. And I see lots of faces in this room that served yesterday at our Midtown building to uh, bless tons of families. Yesterday was the 13th year of Affordable Christmas. I think it's amazing. Yep, big deal. This year we were able to serve over 50 families and over 200 children got Christmas, through, or got Christmas presents this year because of the generosity of our church. We had over 1,300 gifts donated and we had over 230 volunteers participating. That's amazing. I love that. So yeah, let's do it. Hey, it was incredible to see. It was incredible to see the people who got to participate, the people who got to shop, and uh, have breakfast and uh, the fellowship that happens there. And it's really, really beautiful to get to see just people in our church uh, benefiting from serving other people. Uh, the, the benefit of Affordable Christmas, that type of ministry, it just it compounds and it spreads and it blesses our whole church. So I was really, really thankful to see you all there. I was thankful to partner with the Midtown congregation to make that happen. And I'm really, really thankful. So if you served yesterday, I just want to say officially, like, thank you. Thank you. And hey, if you participated in any way, bought gifts, shot for gifts, served, or showed up on like one of the setup nights, but you couldn't be there yesterday, I want to say from the, from the front of the room, just thank you. Thank you for sacrificing your time and thank you for giving to people that uh, we love and care for. So with that said, let me uh, let me pray for us and then we'll jump into this text. So would you all bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, would you wake up our um, our hunger for spiritual things? Would you wake up my hunger for spiritual things? Would you ignite our hearts with a fire to be in your presence, to abide with you, to delight in you, to be satisfied with your goodness and your mercy and your strength and your power and your glory? I ask, would you be kind to us and expose how hungry we really are? Possibly how malnourished we really are. How much we need you. How much we need you. Would you wake us up? Would you strengthen faith this morning? Would your word come out? And would it pierce? Would it split? Would it cut, Lord, to the heart? Fill us with faith. Fill us with joy and hope and strength. Convict us. Comfort us. Direct us humble us. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, in my in my preparation for sermon writing, I try to pull I try to pull quotes that impact me, even in those moments, out of different books that I read on preaching. And right now on my desk is a post-it note with a quote from a Puritan preacher, Richard Baxter. He's the most famous probably for his book, The Reformed Pastor, a book that he wrote. But this quote, which judging from what he said, he probably wouldn't care whether or not you knew it was him that said it at all. He'd he'd way more care about whether or not we were listening to the words of Jesus. But this quote on a post-it note on my desk says, I preached, this is Richard Baxter, I preached As never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. And that quote epitomizes the center of my burden as I labor to bring just one or two truths from God's word to bear on our lives week in and week out. My heart is to stand here and preach. In some regard, like I'm never gonna get the chance to do it again. Because after all, that I'll be here next week is not a guarantee. It definitely isn't promised, even though it might be likely. I believe, I believe that if I'm not gripped by the words of the texts that we're focusing on week after week after week, that I can't expect you all to be gripped by those words. So my labor is not primarily academic or primarily intellectual. My aim is mainly a kind of fatherly aim. The influence of fathers and fatherly instruction and fatherly leadership and fatherly shepherding is not always obvious. And many times it's something that is caught rather than explicitly taught or overtly taught from our fathers. And I believe that my relationship with God's word demonstrates to our people whether or not we hold the word of God as a primary value here. As one author says, the purpose of preaching is to see truth, see truth apprehended and observed, right? Where it affects how we walk, how we move. It's the Great Commission, to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. That's the purpose of preaching, to see all truth taken into our patterns of behavior, taken into our patterns of affections. And today's no different. I want to splash the freezing cold water of God's word right on the face of our sleepy hearts, which means today's text on fasting proves a unique challenge. How do I expound a text of scripture about the nature and practice of fasting in a way that's serious enough for us to say at the end of it, man, he preached like someone who thought he'd never get to preach again. And it appears that I'm going to have a little bit of a challenge. How can a text on fasting be compelling to see the glory and grandeur of the living God? How can the thought of a grumbling stomach put pressure on the pain points of our lives in order to see us repent. How how on earth do we see a text like this and think about being hangry in a way that awakens our souls to true beauty and true wonder? And as I prayed and reflected and meditated, I've asked the spirit of the living God to speak to us, to wake us up and draw us To the fountain of life. I pleaded with God and asked, Would you be, would, would you be so necessary for us, to me, to this church, to my life, to our life, to our moments that we're willing to lose everything else that looks really necessary but isn't? What could God do if we left all of it on the line and centered all? All of it on him, his majesty, his power, his glory. What would happen if we started to fast as a people, not trying to get brownie points from other other church friends or church culture, but because we've been wrecked by the ungodliness of our own sin. So what I want to do today is to give us some explanation and I want to give us some instruction, but primarily I'm begging God to give us a deeper understanding of His love and to reveal more of His transforming gospel in our lives. I want you to see Jesus today, this morning, not some empty religious ritual. I want you to see your Savior this morning, not learn about some antiquated, pious practices that, frankly, we probably dread trying to listen to a sermon on or listen to teaching about something like fasting. And the fact is, is that fasting won't make any sense for you if you don't really want food already. If you don't really want food anyway, you don't care about fasting. And what I mean by that is if you don't really want true food, and true drink, then fasting won't do much for you. Jesus was clear in John chapter six. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me He also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Forever. You see, missing meals won't matter to you. It won't make any sense for you if you're not already feasting on Jesus or yearning to grow in your desire to feast on Jesus, it'll be stupid and silly to you to think about fasting because fasting's annoying. Fasting's irritating. You'll get headaches. You'll get uniquely horrible fasting, bad breath. It's a fact of fasting. It's not something, it's just not something that we consider to be fun, and it's not something that we're quick to do, and it's not something that we actually see quick benefits from. It's not something you see real fast results, and we are in a modern culture that is obsessed with a quick fix. But if you can cultivate a devotion, if you can cultivate a discipline of linking linking the aches and pains of your physical hunger because of fasting with the aches and pains of your soul's hunger to abide with God, the aches and pains of your soul for deeper communion and abiding with Christ like a branch connected to a tree, then fasting will be sweet to you. It'll be valuable to you because it helps you relish it helps you adore it helps you find the deepest satisfaction in your life in being a child of the living God so let us in this moment let us focus our attention and attend to what the Lord Jesus has said to us today this is the word of God and when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This refrain should be familiar by now. It's been repeated again and again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be like them. Don't be like this other example. Don't do good things this way, do them in a different way. Don't do good things, don't do the right thing for the wrong reasons. It ruins the point. Do them knowing that even if no one ever knows, no one but God, that's good enough. Because his rewards are the only ones that matter. We don't want God to ever explain to us that we got the reward we were seeking already. We don't want that to happen, but, we, but we, that we got it from men or we got our reward from other people, from the world. If you seek the rewards that men offer you, if you seek and go after the payoff of popularity or admiration or influence amongst your peers, if that's what you're after, the truth is that you might get it, but the Word of God tells us that that's all. That's all that we'll get. When we stand before Jesus on the last day and make no mistake, we're all gonna stand before Jesus on the last day, friends. Every one of us will stand before him. And when we do, we don't want him to look, look at us and say, you had your reward. You already had it. You had your reward. You already got the payoff you were seeking. You got it from your boss. Or you got it from your family. Or you got it from your Instagram account. Or you already got what you were looking for. I don't have anything else for you. Now, if we're going to focus on fasting, then I just want us to ask four questions from this text. I want us to ask, what is fasting? What is it? Let's define it well today. Why do we fast? How do we fast? And lastly, I'm going to ask when. What is fasting? Why do we fast? What's the purpose of it? How do we do it? What's it supposed to look like and when? First, let's give a definition. One definition offered to us from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones goes like this, quote, to make the matter complete, we would add that fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not only be confined to the question of food and drink, Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose, end quote. Fasting is restraint or abstinence from the satisfaction of some legitimate desire and it can be for a short period of time, it can be for long periods of time, but it has to have a focused spiritual aim, a focused spiritual purpose. For instance, intermittent fasting for your health is not Christian fasting. Fasting for physical reasons isn't fasting, to lose weight isn't fasting, isn't, isn't Christian fasting, I'm sorry. There's even a growing trend right now among Christians who kind of accidentally validate the Bible and Christianity because they see scientific reinforcement. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's something I wanted to mention from the, from the pulpit uh, with regard to fasting this morning. It's hard to explain, but what I mean is is that depending on what voices you listen to, you might learn that fasting is good for you Physically. You might even hear a study that says that if you fast five days a week and only drink water, do you actually stave off the threat of cancer? Like that's, that's one area of like health that's trendy right now, but it isn't Christian fasting and that shouldn't offer us some sort of scientific validation that fasting is a good thing. If we hear some good news about fasting that you, you, you'll live longer or you'll, you'll, you're, more, you're less likely to have cancer that shouldn't make us look back at the Bible and go, oh, that's what God was up to. God is after spiritual results in you in fasting. He's after spiritual strengthening. He's after the soul's hunger for God. And I'm not trying to say that the body is a bad thing at all. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to separate the body from spiritual realities. That's an ancient heresy to say that only spiritual stuff is good and the body is bad. That's not what I'm saying. Christians are their bodies. And in glory, we'll still have a body. It'll be different, but we'll still have a body. We're embodied souls. But if we wait for science or medical trends to validate biblical expectations and validate biblical instructions, we, we, we have our priorities backwards. Okay? Okay. Fasting is not abstaining from illegitimate desires. Okay? It's not fasting from illegitimate satisfactions. You can't fast from pornography, for instance. You can't fast from sin. The Bible explains that you put sin to death. You don't abstain from sin for sections or periods of time. Fasting is not abstaining from sin and illegitimate satisfaction. Abstaining from those things already has a name. It's called obedience. You also can't fast as a manipulation tactic. You can't fast to get God in your debt. If you try to fast to twist God's arm... You're actually committing a sort of like pagan ritual and you'll be very disappointed. The idea is ancient. You can't manipulate or cajole God with your plans for fasting. It won't work and it's, it's actually sinful. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Now, a spiritual discipline is different from discipline in general There's a distinction. The Apostle Paul encourages discipline in general. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. I make it my slave. Discipline in the Christian life should be cultivated. Other translations say things like I beat my body or keeping the body under, that is keeping it under control. Now you need self-control. You need discipline too fast but discipline around food in general isn't necessarily fasting. Listen again to this quote Moderation in eating is not fasting. Moderation in eating is a part of discipline of the body, and it is a very good way of keeping the body under, but that is not fasting. Fasting means an abstinence from food for the sake of a certain special purpose, such as prayer or meditation, or the seeking of God for some peculiar reason or under some exceptional circumstance, end quote. So that's what fasting is. Now let's talk about why, why we should do it. Why should I fast? And I want to name just three reasons to fast. One reason, the first one is to, to humble ourselves In repentance before God. The second one, the second reason is to seek God's guidance or deliverance. And a third reason is because it expresses and deepens love and devotion for God. First, the first reason is to humble ourselves in repentance but as we fast, and I, and I don't want to say that without being really, really clear that just fasting isn't automatically a humble thing. Fasting isn't an act of humility in and of itself. And we know this because of these examples that Jesus gives us in his teaching about how the Pharisees were fasting twice a week. But that wasn't being humble. That was being self-righteous. That was being arrogant. The act itself doesn't prove humility or make us humble, but we do see examples throughout the scriptures of leaders and, in fact, whole nations out of conviction, out of sorrow for sin, fasting in a way that does express on the outside a real contrition that exists inside their hearts. Real humility that exists can be expressed through fasting, 1 Kings 21 explains an example of this when it says, quote, and when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. Excuse me. It's that time of year. But in that day, I'll bring disaster on his house. So what's happening right there is that that Elijah's already prophesied, I'm going to punish this man, Ahab. Or God's already told, told Elijah this. And when Ahab heard it, he was wrecked. He was wrecked to his core. His heart was convicted and he humbled himself before God. We know that because God said it explicitly. He said, have you seen how this man has humbled himself? I'm going to treat him differently because of this. You also can read about it in the Old Testament in the example of the Ninevites. When the prophet Jonah goes to the Ninevites and expresses God's judgment that's on their way, they react with humility. They repent. The church father John Chrysostom says Nineveh freed itself by death, or oh, wait, but freed itself from death by fasting. Like a heavenly power overseeing Nineveh's charge, fasting snatched the city from the gates of death and returned Nineveh to life, end quote. Fasting is a means. It is a means to express this kind of dejection or contrition that exists inside of our hearts. That's a a biblical reason to fast. Second, we fast and others in the Bible fast to seek the guidance of God. In the book of Acts, we see in Acts 13 that before the apostles sent, were sent out on a missionary journey, they fasted and prayed. Acts 13 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they're already worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. These men prayed and fasted and heard from the Spirit and then prayed and fasted some more. They longed to hear from God. They longed to be submitted to God. They longed to have a humble posture in his purpose for their life. You can set aside times of fasting to focus prayer over direction and to receive confirmation for the work that God has called you to. That's an example that expresses a humble posture to seek the direction of the Holy Spirit and then pray more and fast more that the Spirit would bring confirmation is a step that says, we'll do whatever you say, but we want to know, we want to be sure, we want to be 100% sure that we're doing what you want us to do. And I do want to say that, that, the normative way that the Spirit of God does this might not look like Acts 13 in your life. The normative way that the Spirit does this in your life is through rhythms and practices in a a constant kind of pattern of humble posture, humble behavior before God, a humble attitude that looks for His guidance. And then God makes a pathway clear and we step out in faith. I don't want you to be arrested or paralyzed by analyzing whether or not something is perfectly in God's will. We take steps in faith, in obedience, with other counselors around us. But that's another reason, another biblical reason to choose to fast is to be to seek God's direction. The third why that I want to talk about is to seek increased devotion and love for God. A great example and reason to fast is to see your repentance, to see repentance in your life actually affect behavior. To ask ourselves, do we have any besetting sin that's damaging our abiding relationship with God? Are you in the grip of lust this morning with constant impure and lewd pictures in your mind? Take focused time fast. Ask God to take it away. Are you in the grip of consumer debt this morning? Then set aside focused times to fast and pray, not to get rid of the debt, but to change your heart to take out, plead with God to deliver you from any idolatry and sin that entangles you? Are you an angry man or an angry woman? Fast, seek the face of God, ask him, ask him to turn you away from those attitudes. Set aside focused time. If you find yourself stuck in some sort of pattern of thoughts or attitudes that you can't seem to get out of, seek God's face. Perhaps tell a friend about it so they can help keep you accountable. Ask them to fast with you and labor, labor at the feet of Jesus and ask for him to bring um, victory in that reality and have somebody walk with you? Are you entangled in conflict? Are you constantly battling pride or selfishness? Do you struggle with sloth? Do you struggle with coveting your neighbor's wife or coveting your neighbor's husband or coveting your neighbor's house or business or maybe his financial portfolio? Or, this one's a little bit riskier in church, Do you struggle with coveting your neighbor's righteousness? Like do you sit there and get angry or frustrated that good things or the right things seem so easy for him to do and so hard for you to walk in? Or do you find yourself coveting your neighbor's blessings from God? Seek the face of God. Try fasting, bring in a friend and pray in a focused way. And he who sees in secret will reward you with more of himself. That's why we fast. To set down a legitimate desire and say no matter what I need in this life Jesus I need you more. No matter what I think I have to have in this life whether it's food or water or air, whatever, whatever I think I can't live without. The truest truth is I can't live without you. More, I need you the most. Fasting removes distraction and it helps you remember. Helps you remember the reality that we need God. We're not smart enough or funny enough or hardworking enough. We're not good enough to be for ourselves what only God can do and be for us. Fasting will wake you up to your truest needs. Man can't live. Man can't live on bread alone. And Jesus said it, I am the bread of life. So eat. Fast and eat. Right? Fast and eat. Abstain from food so that you can eat more of the bread that you need most. Abstain from food so that you can drink from the fountain of life. That's what fasting's for. To increase your depth of devotion. To increase your depth of communion. To increase the substance of your relationship with God. To increase your capacity to savor and love the wonders and beauties and glories of Christ. Take time, stop eating so that you can taste and see that it's the Lord who is good. Abstain from food in a focused way to taste more fully the goodness of God to you right now. Whatever your circumstance is, we don't fast We don't fast so he just fixes everything. We fast so we come face to face with him in a way that reorients our perspective and helps us to understand that if we have him, we have everything we need, everything. Okay, that's the the what and the why. And now I want to quickly kind of fly over the how and the when. How do we fast? And to answer this question, I want to give you some really practical handholds to take with you today. And I also want to talk about the how" with regard to the nature of fasting. So first, first, you can fast right now. You can fast right now. You can start really small. You can just skip one meal. And read a prayer. Read a prayer from the New Testament a couple times, and then maybe seek the face of God yourself. Skip one meal and read a psalm for a few a, a few times, and then pray and ask the Spirit of God to meet you. Pray that God would make His kingdom come and His will be done in your life. Skip one meal and don't get too overzealous. Don't uh, don't let guilt or shame keep you from fasting. If you fail, if you fail. Once I heard a story, I grew up in a really charismatic context and I heard a story because people in in my context were always doing just like crazy long fasts, like a 30 day or a 40 day fast in the context that I grew up in just wasn't rare. And and a story kind of went around that church of a, a missionary who was on a 40 day fast and he got to his like 25th day and it was fruitful. He was meeting God. Things were going how they're supposed to go. Uh, and, and he hit kind of a wall and he broke and he ripped open a whole bag of potato chips and ate it all the way to the bottom, ate the entire thing. So that's at least, you know, breaking his commitment to God. And then, you know, it's sin of gluttony or something. But his friend said, Oh, wow. So did you like, you gave up, right? Like you quit, you stopped. And he looked at me and said, of course not. No, no. I sat there and said, God, man. Lord, be with me. I long to see this go through. I I long, I long to see this through to the end. I think you're behind this. I want to seek your face. And he wasn't overcome by shame or guilt. He let the blood of Jesus cover any kind of accusation or words coming from his enemy. He let them go and roll right off his back, and he kept rolling. He kept rolling. We have a tendency. I've said this kind of thing before in our body. that we have a tendency to sin and fail. And then that makes us kind of keep sinning and keep failing in a kind of downward spiral. We break down and give up and give into temptation. And then we forget the gospel and we begin to wallow. And then we say, well, I guess I might as well just like not even try if I'm going to fail. And the truth is, is that that attitude actually betrays us Because that shows that our obedience was in our own strength or for our own glory. No, man, I I want to tell you, like, if you fail, believe the gospel and keep going. If you break and something happens and you, you feel the whispers of shame and guilt from your enemy, which is not the voice of God, believe the gospel again and keep going in freedom. Because the truth of the matter is, is that... Your weakness, your weakness is never your problem. Our problem is always our delusion of strength, as, uh, as Paul Tripp puts it. So repent. Repent of self-sufficiency in freedom and joy and keep going. Start small. Work your way up. Work your way up to more. Keep after it if you fail. Fast for one meal or fast for one day. There's a ton of options here. You could drink only juice for a meal. You could you could try something different. You could do a Daniel fast where you, you only have water you only have water and vegetables for an extended period of time. But the point is is to aim the fast aim the fast towards spiritual ends. Aim it at spiritual ends. Set your mind on a spiritual focus, a spiritual purpose. And then the second, the second uh, thing I want to say for answering the how portion is don't fast, don't fast to impress other people. This is what Jesus keeps highlighting in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be gloomy and hang your face and be sad. Don't try to get people to pity you. Don't try to get people to respect you or admire you. In fact, don't think about you at all, right? Right? You aren't the point of fasting. God is. God is. You're not in view. Don't think about whether or not you're being seen as good and holy by other people. Forget. Forget about other people and forget yourself. Just forget about you and attend to the beauty and truth and provision and goodness of Jesus Christ. Fast for your prayer closet. Don't fast for your platform. Fast for your inner heart, not how you're perceived outwardly. Fast to purify your motives, not to gain an audience. Fasting is something you want to do even when nobody else sees because your father, who sees in secret, is watching. He knows that he will reward you. The last, the last question I want to try to answer is when. And this is where I'm concluding. Because I want us to acknowledge. I just want us to acknowledge that Jesus' wording. Makes it look like he assumes that we're going to fast. It makes it look like Jesus assumes. That his followers are, are going to participate in fasting. He says when you fast. Not if you fast. It seems like an interesting reality that Jesus gives us instructions about something that he assumes will be a part of believers lives. Right? There's many things that were not recorded that Jesus said. And this is one of the things that was, there were a lot of things that Jesus said that didn't make it into the Bible, but this is the one of the thing. This is one of the things that did make it in the Bible. He assumes it'll be a part of our lives, and yet many of us have never fasted at all or never even think about fasting, at least not biblical fasting, which, which if we never, ever, ever think about biblical fasting, that makes most of what I said today pretty useless. Nothing that Jesus says to us here will matter at all If we never try it, if we never try fasting. So my final thought today, as I conclude, isn't very sophisticated. Go for it. Give it a go. Just try it. Try it. If you've never done it before, try fasting. Create, create a context in your life to put Jesus' words into practice, right? Create a context for an opportunity to listen to him. If you never fast, you'll never have that opportunity. You'll never have the opportunity to obey what Jesus says here. That Jesus says, when you fast, make sure you do it this way. Don't do it like the hypocrites. Don't do that. Don't do it to be seen. Do it a different way way. And many of us have to respond by saying, thanks Jesus for the tips on fasting, but don't worry about me because I've never really tried it. So your words don't really apply to me. Cool. Great idea. Fun as a kind of like thought experiment, but I don't really see myself ever actually fasting. So I'll probably never really need to listen to these instructions. Thanks anyway. I just don't imagine that kind of response is what Jesus had in mind. Now, like I don't, I say that with zero shame or guilt. That voice is from the accuser. It's not from the living God. But I also say it with invitation and challenge, right? Like humble invitation and challenge. I desire to give us a challenge. I want to challenge us to try fasting, And I know there's unique situations in all of our lives, you know, uh, autoimmune disorder, different reasons people don't eat or have to eat or different things like that. So find a way to apply Jesus's words. Does that make sense? Find a way to not throw it or set it aside, you know, uh, for other legitimate reasons that I get. Find a way to get at what he's getting at and try it on. Test it in your own life and he will reward you. I want to challenge us to fast. I want to challenge, um, which like, if that has to be translated into something particular besides food for you, I'm all for that. But I want to challenge you to try to apply what Jesus says. And I want to do it right now. Like, I've, I've provided three by five note cards in the pews in front of you in those little slots. And if you, if you, if you need one at the end of this, you can come up and get one. But like, take, a three by, take one of the note cards up there. They're over on the sides. They're at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the uh, pews. Take a note card and write down something that comes from the examples that I said earlier in this sermon. Write down something on a three by five note card and keep it in your Bible or keep it in your wallet or keep it in your purse. Pick a spiritual purpose and write it down so that you can focus and pray about it. Put it in your purse or your wallet and pull it out and fast and pray about it as you skip one meal or fill in the blank. Try it on. Try it on. We fast as a church during the month of January. We fasted as a church during the month of January and we're going to do it again this January. And I would challenge you to keep a card with you with a spiritual focus, a spiritual burden that you have, whether it's freedom from sin or guidance in a decision or a deep like transformation that you want to see God do in your soul. Perhaps you're just tied up with anxiety. Perhaps you're tied up with your past. Perhaps there's different gloominess or clouds over your life and you want to see God deliver you. What he will give you if you focus and pray towards these realities is himself, right? He'll give you what you really need, even though what you write, write down might not be what you need most. It still will be the doorway towards communion and freedom and delight with the living God. Write down a freedom over a sin that you're seeking. Write down a desire to taste and know God deeper. Write down an anxiety that you want to repent of or be free of. Write down a question that you want guidance for. Write down a wayward child or a family member who isn't a believer. Write down a broken relationship that you long to see restored. And all January long, pull it out and pray. Pray for God's provision. Pray and fast. Pray while you fast. Skip a meal and feast on God's provision for you. Skip a meal and taste God's goodness. Skip five days of meals and meditate on the lavish grace and love of God that's offered to you. Skip a meal, skip a meal, but don't skip eating the bread of life. Jesus said to us, I am true food and I am true drink. Whatever we have in our lives that we think is true food and we think is true drink is wrong. It's wrong. Whatever we, th- whatever we have in our lives that we think we have to have to survive is less important than Christ himself. And if that's you this morning, we invite you to come up and take communion the way we take communion at Redeemer Fellowship is we break a piece of bread off and we dip it into a cup. The stoneware cups are wine and the glassware is juice. We'll have a station down here in the front of the sanctuary. We'll have a station up in the balcony and we'll have a gluten-free station that's also single served that's over here to my left. In addition to that, we'll have prayer ministers underneath the stained glass window to my left who would love to pray for anyone in this room for anything. And they're, they're there every single Sunday for prayer. But if you're a believer this morning, man, I invite you to feast in faith on the body and blood of your Savior. I'm going to pray for us and thank Christ for his sacrifice. And the musicians are going to come back up. Would you all bow your heads with me and pray? Holy Spirit, I ask for conviction. I ask that you would convict our hearts of sin. I ask that you would comfort the weary. I ask if there's people in this room that are standing on kind of wobbly spiritual legs, I ask that you would strengthen them. I ask that you would build our faith and strengthen our faith right now as we eat in faith. Spirit of God, I ask that you would direct us. I ask that you would prick our conscience. I ask that whatever it is in this life that we think we need the most, we would see that we need you more. We need you more. We need you so much more. So I ask, the Lord, in this room, Would you reveal, would you expose our spiritual hunger, our spiritual malnutrition, our spiritual unhealth? Would you just expose places that we really are hungry and thirsty and we just distract ourselves constantly? Would you awaken zeal for holiness, zeal for a deep and abiding relationship with Christ? And would you do that through the proclamation of your life, death, and resurrection through the table, I ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Come up whenever you are ready.